today on Ag News Daily. Because I think at the end of this month, they'll maybe be 10 to 15 percent planted if current forecast holds out. I think it's just maybe a little bit too early for the market to get excited. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Today is a Market Monday episode here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. This is Delaney Howell, joined as always by my co-host, Mike Pearson. Good afternoon, Delaney. How you doing today? Uh, I'm doing good. I can't believe Easter is next weekend. I know. That is mind-boggling to me. It yeah. boggles my mind. It's also mind-boggling that Easter is next weekend. We're in the middle to end of April, and folks are still getting snow. I know we have uh, Ted Seifert on later in the episode for today's market discussion, and Chicago just got got snow over the weekend again. Yeah, yeah. I was talking to a friend of mine in central Illinois over the weekend. That's what they said. It was uh, coming down all day Saturday or Sunday. Mm -hmm. I don't remember. Thankfully, Iowa really, I think besides maybe northern, northwest Iowa, really hasn't gotten a lot of snow, but I know Dakotas, Nebraska... They got a lot of snow again over the weekend, and and the last week, folks are getting the snow in Illinois. No, thank you. No, no, I know folks are ready to get into the field. We got to mm-hmm. have these things dry out a little bit for that to happen. And now we've got the chance of thunderstorms coming up across the Corn Belt for Wednesday. So it's, yeah. you know, two steps forward, one step back, I suppose, but that's the way spring rolls. Right. It That, that is uh, usually how it rolls. We're uh, getting the planting progress report out later this afternoon so we can talk about that tomorrow but from a legal side of things we're seeing a couple things happen in washington dc before well they've got a recess now for two weeks but once they get back there are a couple of things proposed new things proposed that could help folks that have been affected especially by disasters uh senate finance chairman chuck grassley and a couple other midwestern lawmakers have filed a measure to provide tax breaks to disaster-struck states like Iowa, Nebraska, and Alabama. Today is tax day, I believe, so uh, that's very fitting there. But this legislation would offer tax deductions for folks who have had disaster-related losses and allow some individuals to make early withdrawals from their retirement savings without facing penalties, among a couple other tax breaks. Okay, but that's just been proposed. Nothing has been right. officially done. Okay, absolutely. But for folks affected by flooding in at least western Iowa, um, Secretary Sonny Perdue announced on Monday that he has directed the USDA to aid five different western Iowa com- communities and counties hit especially hard. And those Iowan counties include Fremont, Harrison, Mills, Monona, Potawatomi, and Woodbury. And so on Monday. Folks living in those flood-impacted areas um, can begin filing emergency conservation program applications to address the various damages that they've seen. And essentially, you need to go and talk to your FSA offices. But Purdue said that the USDA is committed to helping these Iowa farmers and ranchers, and they're really working to streamline the process and make it a little easier, whatever that means. Okay, well, that's good news. I mean, those processes are uh, convoluted and, Mm -hmm. you know, Sometimes there's just a lot of papers that need signs. So anything yeah. they can do to speed that up and reduce the amount of paperwork to get these things through faster, that's a win. Absolutely. And I guess one other quick thing to mention here, I don't know if we mentioned it on the podcast last week, but now not only can Nebraska use CRP ground for grazing, but Iowa has also just been approved as of last week to use Conservation Reserve Program ground as grazing ground, and that is going to be allowed until May 14th. So if you have livestock and you can't get them onto your normal grazing ground, CRP ground is now eligible for that as well. 
All right. Yeah, use that stockpiled forage. Keep those cattle alive. Mm -hmm. You know, while we're talking feed for cattle, we've got a story out of China. Um, In 2016, they began putting very hefty tariffs on the importation of U.S. DDGs into China. And as part of the trade talks, they're now looking at those tariffs. They're beginning today a review of their anti-dumping and anti-subsidy tariffs on DDGs. Right now, the tariff on DDGs is between 42 and 53 percent, and anti-subsidy tariffs are 11 to 12 percent. So the idea is if they can, if they remove those tariffs, we can start shipping more DDGs over across the Pacific to China. That'll help bolster ethanol plants' margins and, uh, you know, U.S. cattle producers, if you need to get some DDGs on the books, you may want to do it before China finishes this. And, uh, you know, we see the market maybe take off a little bit. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Another competition. We'll keep an eye on that. Yeah, exactly. Well, another thing happening on the trade front today is we are officially launching the first round of official, I'm using that word a lot, but uh, trade negotiations today with Japan. So that has been a thing that's long time awaited. We are seeing Robert Lighthizer sit down with visiting Japanese economy minister Toshimitsu Motegai. And uh, they're meeting in D.C. this week for two days. And I know we've seen Purdue and a couple of other folks saying we really want to see agriculture put together a deal first, maybe then following up with the rest of the economy. So it'll be interesting to see as we move forward here with these trade talks. Is that the route they're actually going to take or not? Yeah, because for a long time, they said agriculture is not going to be on the table at all. Mm-hmm. Right. But now it is. And it appears so. Who knows, though, really? All right. Well, we'll have to just have to keep an eye on it. Good point, Delaney. Yep. Um, Speaking of international relations, there was a decision by the World Trade Organization last week that was beneficial to the, to the U.S., um, not entirely connected to agriculture. This revolves around lumber. Uh, basically, mm-hmm. there was a... The way that we were calculating tariffs to put on Canadian lumber was upheld by the World Trade Organization. So we get to keep putting tariffs on Canadian softwood lumber. The Canadians are furious. They felt they should have won. They are now exploring what other things they can do to retaliate and continue fighting um, in its retaliatory tariffs against the U.S. Uh, Basically, they're furious because we get to keep the tariffs on the softwood Legally, mm-hmm. and we still have, you know, legally the tariffs on Canadian steel and aluminum, and so they just really feel they're getting the short end of the stick on this thing. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's definitely going to make things a little more awkward going forward between the two countries. Oh, absolutely. I, d- I mean, I, I don't blame them. I could understand why they feel like that. Yeah, you know, but at the same time, you know, it's the world, it's the WTO. We all right. agreed to abide by these rules mm-hmm. and. Yeah, that's the way it goes. Yeah, that's true. Well, in other news that might relate, uh, does relate a little bit to Canada, is is the dairy industry here in the United States. Of course, that's still something we're waiting to see in the USMCA agreement. But uh, for U.S. dairy producers, that new tool that was created in the Farm Bill, which is the Dairy Margin Coverage Program, which replaces the old MPP or the Margin Protection Program, We'll soon have a couple of big rollouts that I know we've got dairy producers that probably uh, need to be aware of or should be aware of this. 
Um, according to a late, the latest Farm Bill implementation update released by the USDA, they said that the University of Wisconsin is developing an online tool that will be available to producers on May 1st. And it sounds like this online tool will really help producers figure out maybe what's the best coverage program for their operation, if they should be enrolling in the dairy margin coverage program, or perhaps another one offered. Um, and they also will be able to be signing up for the DMC program starting June 17th, and payments are expected to be rolling out come July. So just a little ways away on that, but May 1st is again that deadline there, or the the release date, I should say, of the new University of Wisconsin online tool. All right. So yeah, be sure to check that out. If you can get up some payments coming in, folks, let's take them. Dairy producers, we know it's been a tough uh, number of years. Yes. Well, uh, going through a tough time right now is, of course, the global hog industry. We mm-hmm. heard last week the World Pork Expo has been canceled this year due to a uh, fear of perhaps African swine fever coming in and spreading. But last week also saw the Spring Legislative Action Conference for the National Pork Producers Council. And uh, they put forward a number of different resolutions and so forth. One of them was they really wanted to see the metal tariffs on Mexico and Canada lifted. Uh, specifically on Mexico. They are the largest export market uh, for American pork, so they want to see those tariffs go away. And they also, I thought this was interesting, they discussed a couple of solutions to handle the risk of animal disease coming into the U.S. Uh, They're going to push for funding for 600 new U.S. Customs and Border Patrol um, ag inspectors, Going up, you know, against the kind of against the wall, so to speak, against African swine fever. And they all signed a letter of support that calls for the USDA to implement the farm bill as intended, including the foot and mouth disease vaccine bag. Yeah, I wonder how quickly that's going to actually happen, though. I can't imagine it's very fast. No, I'd imagine not. But I thought those were some some interesting proposals make a lot of sense coming out of the uh, NPPs. A legislative action right. conference. Well, since you're um, talking about um, NPPC and African swine fever disease here, Rabobank has released, really, this is the highest number estimates I've seen around uh, for their latest reduction in African swine fever. They're saying that over the course of time, we could see 200 million pigs be cold from African swine fever in China. The number, the biggest number I'd seen before that was 134 million. So this really ups the ante there. Um, and they're saying that that would dr- drop China's pork output for 2019 by 30%. And I believe that it's, I think that this coal is equivalent to the same amount, if not a little bit more than the entire U.S. hog herd. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. So just, I don't know, I guess we continue to get some news trickled out here and there, but I think it's just really speaks to the impact this disease is having. Right. Yeah, it is a severe, severe deal. We're going to keep an eye on it. Everybody on the world, in the world, is keeping an eye on China mm-hmm. and what happens with their African swine fever because we know it's going to spread. Yes, we do. Oh, well, let's see, Delaney. I'm all out of news for the day. What do you say? Should we jump into the markets before we have our chat with Ted Seifried? Oh, let's do it. 
All right, folks, and our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group, including Mr. Ted Seifried. You can call them up, get their assistance managing your marketing risk on your operation. You can reach them at 312-277-0050, or you can visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com, and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. And in the corn market, we've got some green on the screen here with the May contract closing up one and three quarter cents at three sixty two and three quarters, and the December up one and a quarter at three ninety and a quarter. Green continues in the soybean market. The May up three and a quarter cents at eight ninety eight and a half. November new crop up two and three quarters, finished at nine thirty and a half. That strength didn't carry into the wheat market. The May contract was down four and a quarter cents at four sixty and a quarter, with the July down five and a quarter, finishing at four sixty-three and a quarter. Jumping over to the world of livestock, we've got mixed trade in live cattle with the April live contract down twenty-five cents at one twenty-six thirty, and June up two and a half cents, closing at one twenty-one forty-seven fifty. In feeder cattle, April up twenty-five cents at one forty-five sixty-seven and a half. The May up fifty-two and a half to finish at one fifty-one oh two and a half. And mixed trade in lean hogs, the May contract up forty-seven fifty at ninety oh seven and a half. The June down twenty cents to finish at ninety-eight thirty. We can't forget about our friends in the dairy industry. Looking over at the Class Three milk contract, April down three cents on the day at fifteen eighty-nine, and the May down fourteen cents to finish at fifteen sixty-four. Well, without further ado, let's get some insight into these numbers with our good friend Ted Seifert. Well, as promised, we've got Ted Seifert on the line from Zaner Ag Hedge chatting markets with us today. Ted, first of all, I've got to ask, how much snow did you guys get in Chicago or in Illinois, really, as a state? Yeah, you know, uh, by me, which I'm north and a little bit west of the city, I got about four and a half inches. I think closer to the lake got uh, about six. And then north of me, there's uh, some people saying seven to eight inches. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, it was a fair amount. I think the city itself got like two and a quarter, two and a half. Um, but it was, you know, the heavy sort of wet snow that uh, if it wasn't as warm as it was, I think it would have been higher totals. But either way, a lot of, lot of precipitation. It's a big mess. And, uh, yeah, it uh, just keeps happening, I suppose. Yeah. If you look at the forecast right now, there's, there's rain eight of the next ten days in there. So, yeah, not, uh, not an ideal start, I don't think. No, not an ideal start at all when you look at folks wanting to get into the fields. We're getting, of course, the uh, planting progress report out later today. Ted, are we expecting to see normal planting progress? Well, you know, so that's the thing. At this time of year, Delaney, planting progress is is really low anyways. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, average around this time of year is about 5%, and that's really looking down in the Texas, the Delta, you know, uh, southern states. And, And I think for the most part, they got along pretty well. Now, I will say this, uh, there was a fair amount of corn acres that I don't think that got planted in Texas and the Delta because they missed their planting date. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not going to show up in, 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 as far as being behind on crop progress. That's just, we've moved past that now at this point. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think that we're going to see or have a, you know, a shock effect on on uh, crop progress report where we're maybe a percentage or two behind the already very small average for this time of year. It's when we get to the end of this month when we would normally expect to see Iowa and Nebraska getting close to 40% planted when we might really take note because I think at the end of this month they'll maybe be 10 to 15% planted if the current forecast holds out. So I think it's just maybe a little bit too early for the market to get excited. You know, as producers, we all sit here and talk about how 
far away we are from planting and how we're going to be really, really behind and so on and so forth. But I think the, the market wants to see it on paper. They want to see it on, on these crop progress reports. And we're still a little ways from seeing that. Um, and also, you know, there's this idea that we can get planted very, very quickly. Give us a 10-day window and we can get 80% of the crop in. Um, I don't know if there's a whole lot of truth to that this year. I mean, it's, it's I think, going to be really sloppy and it's going to be very tough to get anything done very quickly. Uh, but at least I think the market feels that way. And, you know, until we really are behind it, I think the market's waiting to, to get too excited about it. Now, Ted, you mentioned that by the end of this month, if we're not at, at 40-ish percent in the big states, you know, we could see the market get a little concerned. If I'm an end user, if I'm running a feedlot right there, if I need to get some coverage in, should I be putting some things in place right now or just wait and see? Yeah, no, I think if, if, you, if you're an end user and you need to be buying, I really like the idea of owning calls down here. They're fairly cheap. Uh, the other thing you can do is you can sell puts, which, you know, collect some time value and look for the market to just sort of gravitate higher as it normally would seasonally. The other thing is when you have the funds as short as they are right now, record short as of last commitment to traders report, you, you wonder if they're going to keep selling here this time of year, which would be rather strange. And if they're not selling, who's going to sell? So, you know, at some point we might get something and it could be delayed planting to give us a spark to get the funds to cover, start to cover their short position. And when that happens, that should give us some higher prices. Uh, so I think very likely, yeah, if, if you're an end user, I, I think either buying calls or selling some puts. Uh, in particular, I like the July 380 put bringing in about 17 to 17 and a half cents. Uh, it's a good way to, to capture some alpha. And uh, I think it's a fairly, a fairly, uh, the risk there on that play is ASF in in the United States or closing the border with Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I don't I don't really feel like either one of those two things are too close. But yeah, no, I I, I like those plays. I think they're good for right now. Ted, since you brought up African swine fever and, and feed usage, I want to ask you this because we were talking about it on Market to Market the other day, and I'm just curious to see other people's perspective. It's always good to get multiple perspectives, but when you look at feed usage in China, of course, a lot of people are expecting, because of African swine fever, feed usage or feed imports by China to go down significantly. Do you think it's fair to argue, though, that maybe we won't see such drastic reductions because China will build up other feed eating industries like aquaculture and poultry and maybe some other stuff? Uh, Yeah, there'll be some of that, but no, I I think we've lost a a significant amount of demand out of China and it's probably for the foreseeable future. Uh, You know, the USDA has already cut Chinese soybean demand or crushed demand for soybeans by 18 million metric tons since they started projecting this marketing year. Uh, that number, I think, will continue to go down and for the next couple of years will continue to be under pressure. So ASF has had a very profound effect on global soybean demand. Uh, and if it continues to spread, it will continue to get worse. So, yeah, I, I think the, <laughs> the Chinese, I'm not going to say they got lucky because I don't think they want ASF. But as far as fighting a trade war uh, against the U.S., against us, they had an event that lowered their demand. Uh, and they sort of needed something like that. Otherwise, they were going to have to come to us for soybeans anyways. Um, The question is going to be, you know, what happens on a trade deal? Because if a trade deal includes big purchases of U.S. soybeans, then they might have to be buying soybeans regardless of what their demand is. Um, You know, and and that could be a good thing for us, but who knows? We we really don't know what the details of the trade deal are going to be. 
Ted, while we're talking about uh, things coming out, we had the NOPA crush report mm-hmm. out today. Was there anything surprising on there that jumped out at you? No, you know, it came in a little bit higher than, than the average trade guesses. It came in just slightly below our trade guess. Uh, it wasn't quite as good as this time last year, uh, but the trade really knew that. You know, it's interesting. We had crush margins fairly similar to where they were at this time last year, uh, so there is that incentive to crush. But we didn't have this year, we don't have that perceived notion that South America is having a problem. Argentina in particular is having a problem. So there's going to be more demand for U.S. soy meal. Uh, this time last year, we, were, we knew that, and we were really ramping up the crush to max out capacity. Uh, this year, we're not far off, but we don't have that added incentive of, of looking forward and seeing more market share. Then why, why the incentive to uh, be at last year's levels, Ted? The crush margins are still good for now. I think they're going to be under pressure here over the course of the next few weeks. Ted Zins, you brought up uh, South American production. Let's talk about that for a second here. We, of course, had some reports came out last week with the WASD increased production in Brazil and Argentina. I know at one point in time you argued that maybe the U.S. should turn to being a corn-focused uh, country as opposed to not saying we shouldn't raise soybeans, but just turning our attention more to producing corn. Is that still the story even with increased production in South America? Well, absolutely, Delaney. Uh, you know, the South Americans have pro- proven very good at growing soybeans. We're also very good at growing soybeans, uh, but their quality tends to be a little bit better, and they've got two seasons to do it. Well, at least the Brazilians do. Um, I've said many times before, and I will continue to say, that we should focus on being the corn exporters of the world. They should focus on being the soybean ex- exporters of the world. And this trade war with China has really just exacerbated that. I mean, it really has put us in that position of kind of having to be that. So, yeah, going forward, I mean, I don't think they're going to stop planting corn anytime soon, and we're certainly not going to stop planting soybeans anytime soon. But it just feels to me that over time we're going to see less soybean acreage here, more soybean acreage there. We're going to be looking at, at you know, can we dominate the global market share for corn exports? And they will be continuing to look to dominate the global market share for soybean exports. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, Ted. I think that's for sure as you look down the road 10, 15 years. Um, one thing I did want to circle back on real quick while we're talking about corn, there was the report that China is going to look at maybe pulling off some of the tariffs they've put on DDGs from the perspective of the ethanol industry and the margins they need. Uh, how beneficial would that be if China were to actually step into that market again? You know, that's a great question. Uh, first of all, I'd like to say that, you know, they've got a year to review that. So, I don't think we're going to hear an answer on that, you know, anytime in the near future. So if it does have an effect, it'd be further down the time, uh, further down the timeline. Uh, secondly, um, it has the potential to be a really good thing because, you know, if we can if we can start doing more DDG business with China and that increases DDG prices, that increases profit margins for ethanol plants. And we really need something to do that right now because they've been under a tremendous amount of pressure ever since the EPA started basically trying to destroy the ethanol industry. Uh, the problem is, is that, again, we've been talking about it, you know, this whole show, ASF, right? So if their feed demand is, is under pressure and they've got more soybeans than they really need because they're having to buy soybeans to try to get a trade deal done or after they get a trade deal done, are they really going to need a lot of our DDGs? And, and, you know, in the long run, I think they will. Um, over the course of the next year, I mean, you know, like I said, I, I don't think we'll get a resolution. I don't think they'll have a resolution on that you know, in the near future. Uh, but in the, in the short to midterm, 
I don't know if it does a whole lot for us because of ASF and because it can take a very long time for them to get this thing uh, changed if they're going to change it. Ted, I want to focus here for just for a little bit on the protein markets, more specifically the cattle markets. We've got a lot of fundamentals playing into the cattle markets right now when you look at flooding, you look mm-hmm. at African swine fever and prices in the hog industry. For the cattle industry, seasonally, we usually you know pull back a little bit during the summer months. Are, are we going to see us follow those normal seasonal patterns in the cattle industry, or will these other fundamentals maybe spark or continue to spark life into those markets? Well, you know, okay, good question, Delaney. Uh, one way or another, we will, I think, follow the seasonal tendencies. And what I mean by that is, even if we're going to go higher here, we're not going to go as far and fast as I think the hogs will. Now, that's if the hogs go higher, right? Which I, I, I currently think they will, based on all the ASF problems that we're having, but um, or that they're having in China, I should say. But, uh, but no, I mean, you know, this is typically a time frame where we start to see demand fall a little bit for beef. We have production numbers coming up as we start to gain better weight and the better better weather. Um, and, you know, you look at the chart, I think there's downside potential for, for the cattle. Again, the one thing that might save that is if, if hog prices are sharply higher and pork prices are sharply higher, that might keep boxed beef prices up. That might keep packers' margins fairly good. And that might keep cash somewhat solid. So I think a lot of that kind of depends on what happens with the hogs. But short of a sharp advance in the hogs going forward, I do think we are rife and due for a bit of a, a correction lower in the cattle market. Ted, you've mentioned you still expect to see some gains here in the hog market. How high can this thing run? If, if, if I'm looking at this situation, I see a lot of parallels between ASF and America's PEDV epidemic yep. back in 2013 when hogs shot up to 130. Is yep. that in the cards? It's possible. Um, I don't know about it's possible, but I'm not banking on 130 quite yet. In fact, you know, June hogs have had the darndest time getting over 100. Yeah. And we tried again here today and failed. We ended up closing down on the day, uh, a buck 10 off of the highs. So we got to get through this 104. If we can get through 104, I think we're pretty, or we got to get through 100. If we get through 100, I think we're pretty quickly to 104. And then we'll see where we go from there. It's all really going to depend on how much China is buying. And from what I've figured out, uh, my best guess is that China would have to be on the books for about 500,000 metric tons before we really start having to ration demand domestically and for other export destinations. If China does that, then I think we can start talking about the 115 to 120 level. If they're up and above and over that, or if ASF is spreading to other countries and we're starting to pick up more export business, then we can start talking 130s. But I'm not there quite yet. Gotcha. Ted, before we let you go, tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you if they've got questions and they want to learn to manage their marketing risk a little better. Absolutely. You can reach me directly at 312-277-0113, or you can find us on the web at www.zaner, that's Z-A-N-E-R.com. You can go to our website and read a bit about us. You can also sign up for our morning Ag Hedge newsletter, which is full of useful information pertaining to the agricultural markets. Fantastic. Ted Seifert, always appreciate your insight, buddy. Hey, pleasure's mine, man. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. Well, again, a big thank you to our uh, partners there at the Zaner Group and more specifically, Ted Seifert, for breaking down today's markets. Folks, if you would like to recommend analysts or interviews or things we should be covering on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to us at Ag News Daily on Facebook or on Twitter. 
Or you can always find us at globalagnetwork.com where we've got our podcast and a lot of other great podcasts that you can interact with. Mike, am I forgetting anything? I don't think you are, Delaney. Should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.